Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries. I'm Kendall Martin. And I'm Allison Duvall. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We are so pleased to share with you a recording from our February 27th webinar, Accurate Count, Engage the U.S. Census, which was a joint offering from EMM and the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations. Our presenters are Alan Yarbrough, Church Relations Officer for the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations, and Shagufta Ahmed of the National Partnership Program at the U.S. Census Bureau. Check in regularly to the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations Civic Engagement page for updates on the 2020 Census resources, including the Census Engagement Toolkit, a video from the presiding bishop, and the educational series on the importance of the census. If you have questions or ideas for how to engage the census, reach out to EPPN at EpiscopalChurch.org. The 2020 Census website is a wonderful source of information for the census with resources in English and Spanish, with some resources in a host of other languages. You can explore what they have to offer at 2020census.gov. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Since this podcast episode was recorded, the reality of daily life in the U.S. has changed considerably, and we all must remain flexible as we work together in response to the coronavirus outbreak and grapple with its broader implications. Regarding coronavirus and the U.S. 2020 census, what is most important to keep in mind is that it is still moving forward, and it's easier now more than ever to fill out the census online, over the phone, and by mail, all without having to see a census worker. You can go to 2020census.gov right now to get started. The Census Bureau is working with health professionals to adjust the operations as needed and to keep the census data collection on track. Their most recent guidance from the weekend of March 21st indicates several scheduling adjustments to allow more time to complete the process and protect the health of census workers and the general public. For example, deadlines to complete the self-responses and the non-response follow-up have been extended by two weeks to August 14th, while the task of processing census worker hires is suspended now for about two weeks, although the Census Bureau is still strongly encouraging people to apply to these positions. Beyond this, the Census Bureau is making adjustments pertaining to college students and counting others in group-style housing, given the health concerns at hand. There's a new video out on the Census Bureau's website about what college students need to know to get counted in the right place. So work on the 2020 Census moves forward, including your responsibility to fill out the Census form or forms that you receive. We recognize some people may be temporarily displaced due to COVID-19 or coronavirus. If that is your situation and you have to move out of your home temporarily because of COVID-19, but you expect to return there after this is over, you should use the address where you expect to return when filling out the census. Finally, and this is where we can use your help. Some suggestions in this podcast for helping to get an accurate census count involve in-person interactions and messaging that were applicable at the time of recording but are no longer appropriate in the current situation. 
As we temporarily shift many church activities to online platforms, we recognize that in-person worship weekend, March 27th to 29th, for example, or hosting a computer lab for the public to take the census within your parish may not be possible. But that doesn't mean we cannot continue to assist the Census Bureau in getting an accurate count by advertising it in virtual services or spreading the word through outreach ministries that are still operational, like soup kitchens and homeless shelters. Help us generate ideas for action by letting us know the creative virtual ways you plan on messaging about the 2020 census within your community. Without further ado, let's learn about the 2020 census and its particular impacts on immigrant communities. Welcome to today's presentation, Accurate Count, Engage the 2020 Census with Alan Yarbrough, the Officer for Church Relations and the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations in Washington, D.C. Great. Thank you, Kendall and Allison. And it's really great to be with you all today. I want to begin with a, a brief opening prayer. The Lord be with you. Teach our people to rely on your strength and to accept their responsibilities to their fellow citizens, that they may strive to ensure that all are counted in the census and make wise decisions for the well-being of our society, that we may serve you faithfully in our generation and honor your holy name. Amen. So the, uh, the Episcopal Church is an official partner of the 2020 United States Census this year. It's something that we uh, also did in 2010. Uh, and as an official partner, the Episcopal Church aims to encourage our members to participate in filling out the census and to help people understand why it's so important. Uh, so I want to kick off the webinar with some inspirational uh, and grounding words from our presiding bishop, Michael Curry. Hello. Every 10 years, a census is taken in the United States of the people and the populations who reside here. I'm reminded of that passage in Luke's gospel that begins with the words, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled or registered or taxed. That was a census, and that census was the occasion for the birth of Jesus. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that Jesus is going to be born again in 2020, but I am suggesting that a census is important. It's important for how our government allocates resources that actually help people in need. For example, free and reduced breakfast programs and lunch programs for children in school who eat and need those resources are greatly dependent on the census numbers, so it matters. There are a couple of things that we can each do for this census. First, we can each fill it out for ourselves, for our households. But more than that, pay attention to those who may be overlooked by the census and assist them and help them to do the same. People with disabilities, children, members of the LGBTQ community, and immigrants, all should be counted on the census and we can help. And I hope we'll all do everything that we can to make sure that everybody's counted because everybody matters. God love you. God bless you. And may God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Great. So as, uh, as Presiding Bishop Curry mentioned, uh, immigrant communities that exist in the United States are some of the uh, undercounted or historically hard to count populations. And so we're, we're grateful to have this opportunity to, to speak with you all as, as folks who are engaged with Episcopal Migration Ministries to get into a little bit of detail on why the census is important 
uh, and hopefully provide you with some guidance on what you can do to help uh, get out the count in your communities and especially with immigrant communities. Uh, so, so what is the U.S. Census and, and why is it important? Uh, the Census is a, a constitutionally mandated survey carried out, about, carried out every 10 years to count everyone in the U.S. exactly once and in the right place where they usually live. Um, and the impact of the census is enormous. So the data from the 2020 census will dictate how hundreds of billions of federal dollars are spent through over 130 federal programs like SNAP or food stamps, for instance. Uh, many of these programs are ones that the church advocates on uh, and ones that everyone in the US benefits from. So just as we advocate in the legislative and policy space, we can engage in, in the census count to help ensure more efficient and effective implementation of these programs. Uh, but census data does even more than that. It also guides decision-making on how state and local tax dollars are allocated. And it serves as a resource for private enterprises as well. Uh, a more accurate census count means that resources go to the communities that most need them. Uh, government programs and services can be more responsive. Um, and locally, an, an undercount in your community could mean in reality that, for example, you, you may end up with, with more kids in school than, than what, what is reflected in the census but less funding allocated for teachers in those schools. In terms of private enterprise, Target or a larger grocery store chain, for example, may choose to not locate uh, one of their franchises in, in your town or in your community based on the census count uh, if they determine it's too small uh, to support such a store. Uh, and then finally, and, and perhaps most well known, is that census data also guides the apportionment of congressional seats. So in other words, the number of representatives each state will, will have within the House of Representatives. Uh, this apportionment process allows congressional representation to reflect the American population more closely in the House of Representatives, um, and in particular for states that are gaining or losing population um, so that they have appropriate and uh, proportional representation in the House. So why, why us? Why faith communities? Um, faith communities are critical to this work uh, because we are often connected to hard to count populations and it's our goal in, in this 2020 census engagement to, uh, to use our presence in thousands of communities to help ensure that everyone is counted. Uh, the Episcopal Church, other religious, uh, other Christian denominations and, and other religions are well suited to reach these historically hard to count populations through our congregations, through our ministries, furthered by, uh, and this is emphasized by research that uh, shows that someone is more likely to take the census if they hear about it from someone that they trust. So as trusted communities, as trusted leaders, we are able to uh, have more sway in, in uh, encouraging more people to take the census, hopefully everyone to take the census. Um, hard to count communities, the presiding bishop mentioned uh, several of them, but they include immigrant communities. Uh, as well as children, people of color, uh, the homeless, or people that move frequently as well that don't necessarily have stable housing, um, LGBT people, people who face language barriers. Uh, so when considering engaging the census, think about how to communicate that the census is happening through your outreach ministries. So what exactly can you do? Um, you can take action to support this effort by publicizing information over social media, uh, speaking on our social responsibilities at an adult education forum at Episcopal schools or through other ministries. So publicize, publicize, publicize is one of the key ways uh, that you can engage. You can also join uh, a regional complete count committee. Um, there'll be more information on that in a bit. 
Um, and these groups are engaging the, the local community in greater detail and your added uh, volunteer time can help to make those complete count committees be more effective. Um, you can also invite a census worker to speak to your congregation or even think about this work as beyond your congregation, beyond your, your church home and, and use a, a parish space, a ministry space to physically to hold a community forum. Uh, make sure to publicize the importance of the census as well, um, which can help people understand just how critical this work is. Um, in that educational process, we hope to be a resource for you through that, uh, for that. So starting next week, the Office of Government Relations will begin our census education series. Uh, we'll run this for five weeks, each Wednesday from next week until April 1st. And April 1st is Census Day, which is the day that everyone is encouraged uh, to fill out the census. Um, and one last point, and this is perhaps one of the more interesting ways that, that churches can physically step forward to help get a more accurate count. Um, since this is the first census with the option to fill out the form online, uh, there will still be the paper form. Uh, consider opening up the physical spaces of your churches or your ministries um, as like a mini computer lab um, or a mini tablet lab, if, if tablets are more accessible than computers, um, and publicize that facility, that, that opportunity as a place to take the census. Uh, this can be helpful for a num number of reasons. It can be helpful for those who don't have access to internet, uh, who don't have access to a computer, um, and even, and, and maybe particularly for immigrant communities, uh, for those who are wary of their IP address uh, being connected to, to them filling out the census online, um, if they do that at, uh, at a house of worship, the IP address will be matched to the, to the internet connection and computer that, uh, that they're using at the house of worship. So that can provide some assurance um, around uh, what, is, what is sometimes a source of apprehension, uh, again, especially among immigrant communities. And related to that, uh, and finally, on uh, security and confidentiality, um, I think there has been a lot of anxiety around this, particularly this year, and it is certainly uh, one of the challenges of, of this particular census uh, to overcome some of this apprehension. But some brief comments on this before I turn it over to, to Shagufta from, uh, from the Census Bureau to offer more detail about this and, and the process. Essentially, there, there are risks in everything, um, even in the census. However, there are very, very strong measures in place to address security and confidentiality of people filling out the census. Um, to name a couple of them that are on the screen as well, the Census Bureau cannot release any identifiable information about individuals, households, or businesses, even to law enforcement agencies. This means not to the FBI, not to CIA, not to DHS, not to ICE. Um, additionally, there is no citizenship question. The 2020 census questions are the same as the 2010 census, um, which has been part of um, this aura of suspicion um, and fear, perhaps, uh, in participating in the census this time. Unfortunately, you know, that, that sort of uh, rhetorical damage or narrative damage has been done and, and is present, um, but on the census questionnaire itself, they are the same as in 2010. Um, so the process overall, uh, you can think of it as, as less minimally invasive um, as like the tax, the process to fill out your tax forms. Um, and what's critical to keep in mind, uh, thinking back to, to where I started with, uh, with this part of the presentation, um, is why the census is so important. Um, the costs of not participating in the census uh, are just, are, are, are incredibly significant. Uh, they're significant for ourselves as individuals, they're significant for our communities by not having ourselves counted. Uh, we, you would see, you know, underfunded 
uh, less efficient federal programs, mismatched infrastructure investment, um, underfunded schools, underfunded Pell Grant funding, um, on and on. There are a lot of examples of ways that an inaccurate census count, which would happen by people not participating, can be harmful to the communities that we live in. Um, so there are enormous benefits to everyone for taking the census. Uh, so with that, I'll uh, turn it over to Shagufta Ahmed, who has been a wonderful, wonderful collaborator with us. Uh, she is the manager for National Faith Outreach for the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, we've been working with her for several months now. I'm um, excited to hear from her to, to provide you with more detail about the process of the census, starting again with confidentiality and privacy. Thanks so much, Alan. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Shagufta Ahmed, and as Alan mentioned, I'm with the U.S. Census Bureau. And I'm with the National Partnership Program with the U.S. Census Bureau, and I manage uh, National Faith Outreach. And I have to say, um, the Episcopal Church is one of my favorite partners, and I'm not just saying that. You all do an incredible job in engaging with your communities. And one of the reasons why we partner with faith communities is because you all are the trusted voices in your communities, and you can convey messages that the federal government simply cannot. And it's because of the incredible relationships that you've established with particularly vulnerable and hard to count communities that we really rely on partners like yourselves to convey these very important messages. So I wanted to discuss a couple things about the importance of participating in the 2020 census for immigrant communities. And I first wanted to start by discussing who is counted. So I know folks are always a little bit unclear about this, but just to, to be very clear, we count everyone living in the United States on April 1st. April 1st is just a reference date. April 1st um, is important because if, if there's a child born on April 1st, we want to make sure that that child is counted. If the child is born on April 2nd, uh, that child is, is counted in the, in the subsequent um, census. So April 1st is, is an important reference date for, for the census. And we count everyone, no matter where they're from and why they're here in the United States and whether or not that they're documented. So this includes temporary workers, international students, and workers on assignments from overseas. So in terms of why it's important to participate in the 2020 census and why the federal programs, what federal programs are informed, I, I know Alan touched upon that and that's in the next slide. Um, so I know a lot of the, uh, the folks that you might be working with, uh, the deal with uh, food stamps. So census data is critically important to inform, for example, the food stamp program or the TANF program that maybe a lot of folks in your community use, the ch children health, children's health insurance program school breakfast programs, but this is just a, a few programs. As Alan mentioned, over $675 billion of federal programs are informed by census data. Um, one of the things I like to say to, to communities is you can't be considered in the numerator if you're not first in the denominator. So we need to make sure everyone is counted so that these federal programs are contemplating all communities uh, that may potentially need these resources. So. The, the additional benefits, and I know Alan touched upon this a little bit, um, is in addition to the, the federal benefits provided, uh, the federal benefits that are informed by census data, census data is used to help enforce civil rights laws. They can help determine what services should be provided in other languages. And it, there's also a private sector purpose. So it attracts businesses that cater to communities with diverse populations, and it really can um, inform a lot of different uh, functions, both public and private. So I know the number one question that immigrant communities are always asking is about safety and confidentiality. 
I want to assure all communities, particularly immigrant communities, that there are statutory protections in place. They're very, very strong. And Census Bureau employees like myself take an oath for life. I'm a temporary employee with the Census Bureau, but until I die, I'm obligated to maintain the confidentiality uh, of the information collected through the census. So that the specific statutes are Title 13 and Title 26 of the U.S. Code. And we face pretty severe both criminal and civil penalties if we violate that. So $250,000 or five years in prison if we violate this. And federal law guarantees that census data can only be used for statistical purposes. And the answers cannot be used against anyone in any way. And there are absolutely no exceptions to this. So in the next slide, um, I wanted to, there's a handout that, um, that Alan has, he has a link to, and I'm sure you can share it with anyone who wants this more specific information. It's incredible. And it's in this handout that really lays out the history of confidentiality and security. And I, I wanna talk about that a little bit more. So as I mentioned before, under Title 13 and Title 26 of the US Code, Census Bureau data is, cannot be shared with, with immigration enforcement agencies, with law enforcement agencies, or any court of law, and it can't be used, I often get this question, whether it can be used to determine eligibility for government benefits. So, so say if multiple people are living under the same roof, will that somehow, that information somehow be shared with HHS or, my, or the folks that are providing my food stamp benefits, um, and will that make me less eligible for whatever benefit? No, we don't share that information with USDA. We don't share that information with HHS or IRS. Um, and it can't be used to determine the eligibility for benefits. And as Alan mentioned earlier, your responses cannot be used at all by the FBI, the CIA, ICE, or DHS. And people have actually taken this issue to court and personal census information has not been shared. So let me give you a couple of examples about that. So in 1982, the US Supreme Court confirmed that even addresses are confidential and cannot be disclosed through the legal discovery process or through the Freedom of Information Act requests. That's pretty powerful. Another example is, and, I, and this example is pretty salient with Muslim immigrant uh, communities. Uh, in 2010, the D Department of Justice determined that the Patriot Act does not override the law that protects the confidentiality of individual census responses. No court of law can subpoena census responses. That's pretty powerful. So I wanted to now talk a little bit about the way we're approaching outreach in terms of the census and some of the facilities that we've allowed, we've incorporated in the 2020 census to ensure that we're appropriately meeting the needs of a diverse population. So we're taking a multifaceted approach to language support in the 2020 census. So as Alan mentioned before, this is the first ever census that's going to be conducted online. Uh, and, and the census questionnaire will be available online and on demand in 12 languages in addition to English. Now, those 13 languages are the most commonly spoken languages in the country. We also have the ability to, for, for folks to pick up the phone and fill out their census through call centers. And call centers will be able to answer questions and take census responses in 13 languages, including English as well as use a telecommunication device to answer questions and take census responses for those that are hearing impaired. We're also gonna do mail advertising. So in mid-March, you're gonna receive, all households are gonna receive mailed census materials in English. 
This will include a short phrase in 12 languages, in addition to English, that invites people to respond online or call phone support with direct line for each language. There's gonna be bilingual English-Spanish flip style materials available, which will also be sent to select areas of the country that has more, more density in those, in those areas for those types of languages. And we're also making sure that the, that the advertising and promotional materials are available in these 13 languages uh, so that our procedures and materials can support our census partnership specialists on the grounds and, and partners like the Episcopal Church. So I wanted to provide this graphic. So I know a lot of folks, it's a little fuzzy, but um, it, it provides um, examples of the internet self-response languages. So the 13 most commonly spoken languages, the, the census call center questionnaire assistance centers, again, like the 13 most commonly spoken languages and 13, like those, those call centers will have people who can speak those languages and help facilitate um, your responses. But in, in addition to that, we have uh, language guides, both video and print, uh, and glossaries uh, in 59 languages. These are the 59 most commonly spoken languages in the country, and that covers about 99% of the population. We also accommodate, you know, the, Amer the, the visually impaired and, and the hearing impaired, and we offer Braille services, uh, American Sign Language services that can accommodate um, those populations as well. So I wanted to, um, to give you a few dates so that you were aware of, of where there, we know that there's going to be some households that might miss our initial letter in the mail, which will come out in mid-March, March 12th. Uh, so every household that hasn't already responded will receive reminders up to four additional mailings. And eventually people will receive a paperware, paper questionnaire rather starting on April 8th. And so we're going to be mailing out invitations and in some cases where it's remote and where internet connectivity is low, we're going to be sending out paper questionnaires directly. And we're going to be continuing to mail reminders and eventually more paper questionnaires in April with the final postcard reminder by the end of April before we start to follow up in person. So that said, the more people re that respond on their own, the less we have to rely on costly in-person follow-up to conduct the census. And all of the data suggests, and when you self-respond, it's the most accurate way of responding. So I wanted to take a little time to talk about non-response follow-up because I find this to be the most particularly relevant to immigrant communities who are apprehensive of someone from the federal government coming to their door. So as I mentioned before, starting in May 2020, non-response follow-up starts. So temporary Census Bureau employees called census takers, they're going to go door to door to enumerate households. Those are boots on the ground. So if no one is home, they're going to be leaving a notice of visit to encourage the household to self-respond. Census takers will attempt to about six times to resolve a case and non-response follow-up will end about July 2020. I think it's really important to convey that to your community so they're aware during which period of time members of the federal government are, are potentially going to be knocking on their doors. In the next slide, I wanted to offer a few tips about avoiding frauds and scams, particularly for these communities that are pretty apprehensive. So to avoid frauds and scams online, I want to make sure that folks are aware that the Census Bureau will never ask for your full social security number. They will never ask for a bank account or credit card number, never ask for money or donations, or ever contact you on behalf of a political party. And to minimize or avoid 
frauds and scams, there are ways you can verify a census taker. Um, you can make sure that they have a valid ID badge with their photograph and a Department of Census watermark, or commerce watermark rather. It includes the expiration date. And if you're still not sure, you can call a local Census Bureau representative to con confirm their identity. And there's an 800 number that's on the screen, 800-923-8282. Um, please call that number to confirm. And if you do suspect fraud, please call the police. Please call the local police and let, alert them. And what folks can do to help protect the count in 2020 is please report suspicious information and tips to rumors at census.gov. You might be hearing in the news a little bit that folks are posing to be census takers. People are getting mailings from certain politically affiliated groups of all kind. This is where you need to provide that information to us so we can dispel those rumors. Please flag any suspicious information on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram or any other social media platform. And please, please call the Census Bureau customer service hotline at our 1-800 number to report any suspicious activity. Uh, you can also reach out to us on our social media accounts. And if you have any questions, there are some uh, materials that you can access for partners. They have a lot of informational materials, handouts. Um, and if you have specific questions that you want to ask me, my information is also provided on the slide. Feel free to reach out to me or connect with Alan, who's our, our contact with the Episcopal Church, and, and we're happy to address any questions you have. So thank you so much for allowing me the chance to, to talk about this important topic today. We do have one question. I'm gonna throw this one to you, Alan. Um, despite the fears and concerns that, that many different immigrant populations face, why should immigrants participate in the census? Sure, that's a, a great question. So just as, I guess, when, when explaining, you know, why the census is important, um, it's important both for immigrants and non-immigrants in, in the U.S. So native-born people to the U.S., like ab absolutely critical to them. It is as critical to immigrant communities as well. Uh, so there are various services, as some of which uh, Shagufta went into more detail on, like civil rights protection laws and, and enforcing those to certain programs that different immigrant communities are eligible for. And so the funding for those are allocated um, based on census, census information. And if, and if the census can't capture where immigrants are, at least in, in, in data and numbers, um, including you know, language, the languages that they speak as a factor into that as well, um, then the, the programs are going to be less effective. People may miss out on opportunities to um, get a Pell Grant, or there may be underf underfunded um, SNAP or food stamp programs, depending on where you're living. So it's really critical that everyone who is currently living in the U.S. is counted. Thanks, Alan. And there's another question here that I'm interested in as well around cybersecurity about the census since this is the first one that's ever been conducted online. So happy for either either Shagufta or Alan to take that one, but just if you could talk a little bit more about cybersecurity around the census. Sure, I can, I can start. So the Census Bureau is ensuring that the online platform is adhering to the most current security protections uh, associated with online platforms to ensure all the information that's provided is absolutely safe and preserved and, and protected from any sort of outside tampering or, or, or any sort of data sharing with entities that are beyond the U.S. Census Bureau. So we are doing all that we can to, to ensure that our technology is up to date to, to all the modern standards. 
Thank you so much, Shagufta. And I think we've just had another question come in through the questions pane. Eric asks, what about US citizens who are overseas for some time? So students at foreign universities, business people working abroad, those serving in the military overseas, are they included in the census if they are out of the country on April 1st? And should they fill out census questionnaires? So good question. So for the military, folks um, assigned overseas, there is a specific uh, unit within the US Census Bureau that you know, it has been established throughout the decade who has very strong relationships with military bases and they count them through those processes. So th there's a pretty well thought through process. Now for the folks that are living abroad, like studying abroad, for example, they typically aren't counted if they're living abroad on April 1st. But say for example, your cousin from another country is living with you in the United States to study. He is counted for the purposes of the U.S. Census, regardless of the fact that he might be a native of India, right, has citizenship in India, for example. But um, the same does not apply, for example, with I was studying abroad in England, like during the 2000 census. I was not counted in the 2000 census at that time. I think there was a third question, right? Uh, someone living abroad for a temporary assignment. Um, yeah, they're also not counted. But if so, for example, if you're working for some consulting firm abroad uh, that's like based in another country but assigns you to the United States for some period of time, um, you would be counted in the U.S. Census if you're here on April 1st. That's really helpful. Thanks so much, Shagufta. And we've got one more question. The question right here now is about additional resources. Um, so Alan, I'm going to pitch this one to you because I know there's a wealth of resources available from the Episcopal Church. So if you could speak to that, that would be great. Sure, I'm happy to. Uh, so we have been using our, our website, it's episcopalchurch.org slash OGR uh, to compile, in addition to our advocacy resources, resources on civic engagement. Um, so we have a civic engagement toolkit it is currently available in uh, in English. I'm still working on a couple of uh, link replacements for the Spanish version, and the Spanish version will be up. Um, that website is also where we will be, the video that you saw from the presiding bishop, it's where that is posted. So if you are interested in using that video in your local context, you can get that from there. Uh, and we'll be posting our census education series to that webpage in addition to sh uh, uh, sharing that through our normal communications channels by email. Um, through the Episcopal Public Policy Network and on our Episcopal Public Policy Network social media. I'd also just like to plug the, the 2020 Census uh, website itself. Um, they are full, their, their, their website is full of a lot of great, a lot of great resources that are also available. Most of them, I believe all of them that I have seen are available in at least English and Spanish, if not in other resources as well. So even more in-depth information than, than what, what we've been able to share with you on just this brief webinar today on why the census matters, what the process is, uh, information about security, how the census impacts people with disabilities, and also how people with disabilities can, can take the census, what, what measures are in place to make the census as, as accessible as possible. So it's really, really great, great resources just is, is the 2020 census website. Chigufta, I don't know if you want to say anything more to, to what you all have there. No. That's exactly right. Um, the 2020 census.gov uh, online platform is fantastic. And the question that somebody raised about like the living arrangements, if they're abroad, if they're local, if they're here temporarily, all those questions are addressed in those materials. And they're segmented to various types of audiences. So like Alan mentioned, the Spanish speaking audience, uh, you can find materials in Arabic, for example, folks that are living in rural areas, 
uh, folks in complex households, messages pertaining to children, uh, LGBTQ audiences, for example. So please take a look. There's a lot of great materials that are there that can address a lot of the questions you might already have. And I don't see any further questions in the Q&A pane or the chat. Um, so I'm gonna turn it over to Allison Duval. Thanks very much. All right, well, we are gonna to move to close out today. Um, as with every webinar that Episcopal Migration Ministries hosts, we will be sending out a follow-up email um, with some of the uh, resources that Alan mentioned and the slides and recording of today's presentation. I also wanted to flag for all of you that um, Lent, if you didn't, if you didn't know, yesterday was Ash Wednesday and so we are now in the season of Lent. As part of EMM's Lenten observation, we are releasing reflections on the Stations of the Cross in a few different ways. First, we are offering blog posts and email meditations weekly on Wednesdays through April 1st through Census Day, um, and then we'll go to a daily release through Good Friday. We're releasing these meditations also um, in audio form on the Hometown Podcast, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Finally, we're releasing the reflections in booklet form with an audio compilation that weaves together the Liturgy of the Way of the Cross from the Book of Occasional Services with the authors of each reflection reading their reflections. So it's going to be quite a moving um, audio experience to listen and read along as you walk the Stations of the Cross and pray with us. You can request any of these resources at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash stations two zero. Also, if you're not yet aware of EMM's Partners and Welcome program, we do encourage you to join. It is our online learning community and ministry network of Episcopalians and congregations, ministries across the country who work to welcome immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers and advocate on their behalf and alongside them. If you get to join, you get a host of resources and special items as a member. You can join at episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash partners and welcome. And finally, we want to thank you for joining us today. You can find EMM at our website and on social media at EMM Refugees. All of our videos are in our video library on vimeo.com forward slash EMM Refugees. And then again, want to thank Shagufta from the U.S. Census Bureau for joining us and our colleague Alan Yarbrough from the Episcopal Church's Office of Government Relations, which also hosts the Episcopal Public Policy Network. So you can join the EPPN at advocacy.episcopalchurch.org and follow them at the EPPN. Blessings on you all as you begin your Lenten journey. And thank you so much for joining us today. Goodbye. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you've been enjoying listening to Reflections on the Stations of the Cross. We will continue releasing episodes every Wednesday through April 1st and then switch to a daily release schedule through Good Friday. To access the digital download booklet of the Reflections on the Stations of the Cross, as well as an audio compilation of the Liturgy of the Way of the Cross alongside the audio reflections, please visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash stations two zero. Join in the work of Welcome by making a donation to Episcopal Migration Ministries. No gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. 
Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home.